Good morning, Springs Community Church. It's week three of our series, Carry the Mat, the healing ministry of Jesus. And I'm sitting out here at Contemplation Point, and I wish I could communicate to you um, what I'm feeling. It's a few things, I'm gonna do a bad job of it. But one is, is just sincerely how excited I am for this series. Uh, I know for certain that um, that if we were to become a community filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, to care for the lost, that this neighborhood that I'm looking out at in front of me um, would radically be changed. And far from just this neighborhood and these neighborhoods of Colorado Springs, um, but just like it did in the early church, I know for certain that it would spread and start the spread and continue the spread that God has been doing through Christ and through His Spirit and to the ends of the earth. But the other part of what I'm feeling is a little um, concern. My concern is that as we continue to step into an understanding of the healing ministry of Jesus and what it means for us, that we're going to get excited about it and then it's going to pass us by. I've been reading in Luke lately, and this is a pattern that appears over and over again. As soon as Jesus starts his ministry, he goes into Nazareth and he proclaims that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. And the response of the people to this most wonderful of news is, isn't this, we know this guy, what's he talking about? And then he goes on and he casts out demons and he heals sick people and he declares that he himself can for, forgive sins and heal the lame, the paralyzed, the blind. And the Pharisees are upset that he's eating with tax collectors and they don't know what to do with him. He goes on and he heals a man with a shriveled right hand and the Pharisees are so upset about it because it happened to take place on the Sabbath and they didn't quite understand it and there were questions that they had about it that they discuss among themselves, what are we gonna do with this guy? And as we know, eventually they start to turn that into, how are we gonna kill this guy? And I think in a more subtle way, it's actually maybe most exemplified by Simon Peter himself, the, the disciple, the apostle. Because that uh, one, of those, one of those people that Jesus healed in a town called Capernaum was a woman who had a fever, who was dying. But it wasn't just any woman, it was Simon Peter's mother-in-law, a close family member, someone he loved dearly. And immediately after that, that's in chapter 4, chapter 5 begins, and do you know what we find Simon Peter doing? He's back out on the waters. He's fishing. He's doing the job that he's accustomed to doing. And on the one, on the one hand, of course he is. Of course he's doing that. Of course he's out fishing. That's what he's supposed to be doing. But here walked into his very house a rabbi, a teacher, a master with the power to heal the sick from dead and to cast out evil and impure spirits. And what did he go and do? He went back to work. And so I'm a little concerned. Jesus, a little fed up with all of these things. In chapter 6, he ends up going to a high place, to a mountainside to pray. So Jesus goes up on the mountainside to pray, and he prays all night. And he models here for us a pattern. Because after praying all night, he appoints from among his disciples his 12 apostles. And then... He goes down the mountain partway and he begins to teach what is the Lucan equivalent of the Sermon on the Mount. And then, in chapter 7, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. So maybe it passed you by quick, but, but look at the pattern that he modeled for us. Having performed miracles, having taught profoundly, and having otherwise been unheard completely prior to this, he goes up on the mountain and he says, okay, God, I need a revelation from you. And from that revelation, he begins to deposit it into a few. And he begins to teach. Point number two, the revelation moves from our ears into our minds and our hearts as the teaching of the Lord begins to saturate more fully our understanding of the world and how things work. And then the third part, 
he enters Capernaum, as if to say, look at this, receive the revelation of God. Let it enter your mind and into your heart, and then go into your town with it. Having been misunderstood and rejected and opposed despite his many miracles and profound teachings, Jesus goes up on the mountainside and he prays all night. And as if it were a breath of fresh air, he enters into the town of Capernaum once again. And what does he find? Open with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Thinking back on that pattern that Jesus modeled, it was as if he had been the revelation of God to the people of Israel for all of these chapters prior, and yet they couldn't get past step one. Receive revelation, block. Receive revelation, block. Maybe it would start to enter their head, but couldn't quite enter their heart and provide the transformation. And Jesus was like, you're so far off. I need you not only to have it enter your head and your heart, but I need you to take it with you. And when he enters into Capernaum the second time, and this centurion sends for him, and then he goes to the centurion's door, and there he receives the centurion's servants again outside with this message of humility, and more importantly, a recognition of who Jesus is and that his kingdom is the one that is coming and that his kingdom is the one that has authority over all things and that even the authority that the centurion had was just a glimpse even though he could order soldiers Roman soldiers to do his bidding at any time that he felt necessary that was just a shadow of the power that Jesus Christ had in both the spiritual and the material world and Jesus said oh, finally Somebody. Is that somebody going to be us? Or are we going to be like Peter? And go back to our jobs. And go back to the things that we know. And miss the revelation that God has given us. Jesus gave to the people of Galilee and the people of Israel stories to tell each other, experiences uh, that they were able to witness, that they could remember, that hopefully would become ingrained in their minds, that then they could interpret and understand and then go out into the world with, with the same power of Christ. And even though they fell short, I think we have the opportunity not to. And so I want to give to you the chance to hear some stories, the chance to hear some testimonies, the chance to receive some teaching and some revelation. And I hope for you that as you listen, you don't let it just pass you by, but you receive it in your mind and you interpret it and you understand it and you receive it in your heart and fall in love with the Lord who gives it. And then the greatest challenge, that you would go out into the world and live power and faith because of it. Let me introduce you to some friends of mine whose stories might be helpful.
Okay, everybody, now you've got your rehearsal run in. Who are you? My name is Sarah Barbudi. My name is Chris Mayberry. Hi, I'm Jordan Michelle Osborne. I am Jed's sister. Hey, I'm Derek Ermitier. <laughs> My name is Eric Boilo. I am a missionary in Japan. My wife and I have been here for about six years, and we are, yeah. I have known Jesus for a good part of my life, and I love him a lot, and um, gotten to travel a lot with him because of him to places like Wales, and Italy, and South Africa, and Australia, and New Zealand. I'm living in Sydney, Australia with my lovely wife. I've been participating in YWAM the last eight or nine years with a group called Circuit Riders. Uh, I'm from Holland, Michigan, and about uh, nine years ago I moved to Atlanta to attend Beth Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry. Since finishing the school, I've been on staff now for about seven years teaching in their first and third year programs. Really love these people and glad to be here. I live in Allegan, Michigan, about half an hour from where we grew up. And we do a lot of different things, but what we try to do is love Jesus and love the people around us. My name is Enoch. And that's Enoch five-year-old Enoch. From the time I was 17 years old, I wanted desperately to be an overseas missionary. And um, so that was kind of my life goal and my plan and have landed 30 miles down the road from where I grew up and living a life that's different than and better than what I could have asked for or imagined. Can you describe in your life when it moved from Jesus is far away and I don't deserve it, to he's coming anyway, and I've experienced some sort of healing. I mean, I've probably had multiple moments in my life where like the reality of Jesus like really has hit me, and, I'm, and like the fact that he is way gooder than we think that he is. Because um, we're always like, oh yeah, Jesus is good, but then like there are moments where like, no, 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 Jesus is really good. When I was 19 in college, I had a friend who was a missionary, and they were they came back from um, Africa, just the whole continent. They were just like doing the whole continent. They came back from Africa. I just don't want to be specific. And they were telling me stories about what they had seen and what God had done. And um, it's a friend, and like you know, he's not going to BS me because he's he's a friend. And I was hearing the stories about how they would go to these villages and they would um, uh, play a Jesus movie and they would. Um, <clears throat> they would ask for all of the villages uh, blind to be brought forward and all the deaf to be brought forward and they would lay hands on them and uh, some of them or sometimes all of them would be healed and I was like holy crap like this stuff is kind of real now and now I have somebody who's actually seen it and done it around that time I um, I started getting more interested as well and we I heard about a friend who was uh, sick um, wasn't a friend, more of an acquaintance that was sick on the other side of, of Michigan. We're from West Michigan and they were in the east side of, of Michigan. And so we're like, well, let's go and try to see this stuff. And so we got in the car and we drove like three and a half, four hours out there to their house and uh, just prayed for the guy who was sick for like three hours or something like that. Um, like the guy was paralyzed, like basically head to toe, it had very little movement at all in his body um, and was like able to lift his leg like off the chair he was sitting in by like an inch and that was like the absolute extent of his of power in his legs and when we prayed for him um, he started to be able to do a little bit more and he said he felt something um, he communicated to us because he couldn't speak but he communicated to us through a communicator that he was feeling something happening in his body and we went home and um, three days later his mom sent us a video of him being able to pull his leg all the way up to his chest. And that was like some of the most, the most progress they had seen in his condition in years of his condition. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I was really blown away. Um, now he wasn't completely healed. And for me, like, I was like, for me, now I'd be like disappointed. But back then I was like, I didn't see that. I was like, no, like the guy got healed, man. Like this stuff is real, you know? And that kind, of, that kind of gave me faith to start going after healing in other parts of my life and looking for healing in other situations that came up after that. I, I didn't know healing was a thing for today. I 
actually hadn't even really read the Bible very much. I just got saved in university. And a few months later, I was off to South Africa for my first mission trip. While there, um, you know, all I really knew at that time was Jesus is real and I loved him. Uh, but I didn't know about the spiritual realm, didn't know that healing was real. Didn't I've never heard about spiritual gifts, never heard about angels, demons, spiritual warfare, nothing. So uh, it was all quite a shock when uh, witch doctors came to our camp, started calling down curses on us, and people started manifesting demons around us. Uh, not just locals, but people from my upper middle class uh, you know, university who, were, who had never experienced anything like this before. Uh, were all of a sudden their eyes are going pitch black, you know, foaming at the mouth, gnashing their teeth. And I'm starting to see uh, the Bible almost come off the pages into my world for the first time. One of the people that we, we prayed for while on that trip had a S-shaped spine, like scoliosis, and uh, prayed. And we, while we prayed, her back kind of straightened up under our hands at the power of the name of Jesus. And I was just like, I... I can't believe it just happened. It wasn't just like something I could write off, like like they had a headache and they think it feels better. You know, it could be kind of psychosomatic. It's like, you no know, bones were shifting under our hands at the command of the name of Jesus. So that was, that blew my mind. And I'm like, wow, God is, is still in the business of healing. And and it's, uh was humbling to see him work through me. Not that the power was my own at all, but just that he was partnering with me, uh, using the authority in his name to physically heal people and demonstrate his love and care for them so when i was 17 years old i started getting really fed up with um trying so hard to believe that god actually loved me um because i i grew up in this great family that told me that truth um but it was very much something that was floating around in my head but the word hadn't really been planted in my heart God felt far away you know like in my mind he was kind of an old man in the clouds um, waiting for me to figure out a way how to get up to the clouds as I started getting frustrated I remember one of my first prayers being well one I didn't know my Bible very well but I knew there was a verse that said where Jesus said he came to bring life abundant I remember saying, if this is life abundant, then I really don't get it because I feel lonely and I feel unloved and I feel empty. Um, and I mean, those were all very like self-absorbed thoughts about life, but that's where it was. So then I remember kind of making up in my mind, like either this is real and I'm going to go for it with God or it's not. And I'm going to stop trying to be good for God and just have fun. <laughs> um, and so I started to pray, God, I want to want you. I think that's the first thing that I started to pray on repeat because I knew that I had kind of an apathy. Um, and the Lord responded by stirring up desire to actually know who he was, to actually want who he was, and then started feeding my desire. You know, like, for example, Chris, you know, randomly sat me down and said, like, let's actually open this Bible and see what it says. And so that happened and my hunger was stirred even more, you know, and there was one day where I said to the Lord, um, I believe this, I believe you, and I want you, you know, like whatever, whatever life you have for me that involves you in me, that's the one I want. Um, and so I sat down just kind of in this posture of surrender for me, it was a very powerful moment of change where Holy Spirit came and um, and the word went from my head to my heart and like my whole being and the weight of the glory of God and the love of God was very heavy. Like I legitimately fell out of my chair heavy and I'd never seen anything like that happen before. I wasn't expecting anything like that to happen, but just became a different person because I actually knew, like I knew that the Lord um, was not far, he was close, and that the Lord loved me before I ever did anything to earn it or lose it. And um, from that point forward, you know, obviously the journey like keeps going and um, 
still goes and he's growing me every day. Um, but I, I, I felt like a new creation after that. In this story, something that's really interesting to me in Luke 7, it's a communal effort. You've got these Jewish people who are contending on behalf of the servant of a Roman, a, a governing official even. Um, can you tell a story about how the ministry of Jesus and specifically Jesus's healing ministry has either been a communal effort and you've seen how community has really like introduced somebody to the power of Christ or introduced you to the power of Christ or maybe a story of how that healing ministry of Jesus has really crossed some cultural lines in your in your life so it was essentially a youth group that I had uh, restarted from a previously existing one that was focused on reaching out to the unwanted teens of our city in Holland. Drug addiction, you know, in and out of juvie, bad uh, home life type stuff. And our goal was just, you know, spend time with them and uh, hang out, have fun, and tell them about Jesus and and let them encounter his love through us. Derek, he's just incredible. He he led that group so well. Man, what I remember is that group was so freaking difficult. We were trying every tactic we could think of to try to share the gospel with them, get them interested in anything about Jesus at all. But really, they were there for the pizza. For instance, Gage was a a young man who was uh, still in high school and the day prior, he had uh, gotten into a, a pretty bad fight and had really uh, banged up his knee. It was uh, really scuffed up, you know, from a, just a bad scuff he'd gotten into with another guy. Um, and so we're having uh, just our usual time where we're hanging out. And there's one time during the day that we usually pray for people. And so... Um, I kind of get this inclination to go and pray for Gage's knee. The first prayer, you know, it's just me praying over his knee. He jumps in the air to test it out and lands on his knee as hard as he can to see if it's still, you know, hurting or if it's healed. And, you know, you hear kind of a pop and you're like, oh, I don't think, I don't think that was a good idea. And it was, it was not healed at the time. And so he goes off to like, you know, clean up the blood and I'm, I'm standing there just praying like, you know, God, what are you doing? You know, I felt like you told me to go pray for Gage. As I'm asking God that, I see a picture in my imagination of a girl with blonde hair, and I feel like I hear God say that she has a healing angel with her. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that, but <laughs> I'll go ask my friend who has blonde hair, see if she'll go pray with me for Gage's knee. And so we do. And after, I think maybe the second prayer, Gage says it feels like it's had a day of rest. And then after the third prayer, maybe the fourth prayer, I can't remember, Gage rolls up his uh, pant leg to check his knee and there's no more cut, there's no more scrape. It's just brand new pink skin. And Gage just totally freaks out. He's hyperventilating and he's running around telling all of his friends, like, guys, guys, check this out, check this out. And everybody, you know, was going to the youth group, like we're at different places in their faith, but once they saw that Gage's knee was totally healed, they were just blown away. And all of a sudden, everybody came inside that night. I think it was maybe 10 o'clock at night at that point. And everybody needed to go home, but they wanted to stay. And they had all these questions about Jesus, and what's repentance. And we answered their questions for like an hour or two that night. And then they're like, can we come back? And can you teach us about the Bible tomorrow? I remember trying, again, trying every tactic to get them to sit and listen to the gospel, listen to something and just nothing was working and then yeah gage got healed and he's running around everyone's like dude chill out have a cigarette man he's like no god's real god's real and gage like the last guy you would expect to get saved in this group like there was a lot of people with different spots but gage was like literally instantly f god i'm only here for the pizza you like like the last guy you'd imagine and so of course that's who god goes after first Everyone runs inside and sits at our feet and yeah, starts asking, what's the gospel? What's repentance? And just dead silent. We're like, what just happened? This is, this is cruel. We've been trying to get it happen for, for three months on our own strength, but it just, it just wouldn't work. And then, yeah, for, for a few months after that, I remember every person we prayed for got healed. 
uh, one incredible testimony, Derek was praying with uh, a girl who had scars on her arm from severe cutting. And as he kind of prayed over her arm, the scars started to disappear. And so I, just like the craziest stuff. Um, and just really saw God's kindness uh, and, and closeness as we kind of reached out and helped them reach out to each other within this group and see Jesus heal time and time again. And because of that, they all really drastically encountered his love and came to a, a revelation that God's not just real, like a guy in the sky, he's real and alive and here doing stuff. So I can think of a lot of like cross-cultural stories as in like being with people in different countries and different cultures and seeing God do miracles. But the, the, the one that's uh, sticking out in my mind right now is actually a story about our dad. I think sometimes family can be the hardest um, to try to experience God with. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but um, there, there's just something about family and the familiarity and even Jesus says, like, in your hometown, it's harder, right? We've got an amazing dad. He's, he's, he's loved the Lord ever since we've been alive. As I and you, Jed, um, started seeing and experiencing God in new ways, you could just see hunger in his heart, too. Like my kids are experiencing something with God that I want to experience. And so I remember specifically there was this one night that we were headed out to um, one of your hockey games, Jed. And dad had something wrong with his foot where it was hurting him really bad. And he like couldn't walk on it. And we parked the car at the, at the hockey place. Georgetown Ice Arena. Okay, thank you. We were at the Georgetown Ice Arena. We parked the car, got out of the car, and Jed said, hey, well, if your foot's hurting, let's pray for it. God can heal it. And um, and so we got down on the ground in the parking lot, and we prayed for Dad's foot. And it got healed. Like, not just a random stranger, but like our own dad's foot stopped hurting immediately. And he was not going to lie about that. I mean, he was very determined to try to make sure it didn't hurt or to try to feel it hurt so that it wasn't going to be some, you know, weird story. So he walked back and forth up and down the parking lot for a while and just kind of got overcome with the reality that God had just done this for him. And so I remember he said, I'm going to stay in the car for a few minutes. And Jed and I went in. He, Jed had to get ready for the hockey game. And I went in um, to sort of watch him get started. And dad stayed in the car and he came in after the hockey game had started. I was kind of standing near the door and I saw him walk into the hockey arena barefooted, which is unusual in a hockey arena. And he, and he told us that he sat in his car and just felt like he, had, he was getting washed in the love of God in a way that he'd never felt before. And, um, you know, was just so overwhelmed by it that he felt, you know, like his heart of faith believed that God was asking him if he'd be willing to awkwardly walk into a hockey arena without any shoes on as like a testimony to the Lord. And he did it. And uh, that was just really, really cool. I mean, it's really cool when it happens to anybody, but I, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, these people that vouched for, for the centurion and, um, you know, like what it does to your heart when you're vouching for your own dad. Um, and, and then you see, you see the Lord do it. So when I was in South Africa, um, I kind of had these two little shadows. I ended up kind of discipling them. And one of them was this kid, Josh, who was like just three months old in the, in the spirit had just gotten saved three months ago, like from being a total stoner. I, had got the movie the finger of god which just kind of shows some like miracles and things happen we had an afternoon break and i showed it to um him and my other friend and he like he cried through the whole thing like just he cried through the whole thing and then we got done watching it and he was like oh yeah i really love that like i almost cried and um <laughs> and uh i was like oh cool you liked it and he goes yeah that was good okay 
and he like left the room. I didn't know, I figured he just had work to do. Two hours later, I found out, right after watching that, he went to um, pray for the leader of the base, who was this like crazy, amazing missionary. I mean, she had all these stories, like seen all these miracles, and everybody like had prayed for her because she had like a, a heart condition and she was dying. And he didn't even care that everybody had just prayed for her. He just went over and like immediately prayed for her. Um, and she saw like a huge significant difference after that. And there was another man who was on the base um, who was also like dying. We'd rescued him from like, you know, a corner of a waiting room in a hospital where they wouldn't even see him because he was so close to death that it wasn't worth it for them. So we were housing him, you know, just until he passed away. And <laughs> he went to this man George's cabin and um, just prayed for him. And the guy was totally healed like on spot just after like hearing his first kind of like testimonies of healing he just immediately went out found like the two you know worst conditioned people who i mean the only other people that were sick on the base prayed for them and they got healed and he thought nothing of it he was like no that's what yeah i got them i got the movie we got it you know we can i can do it and so yeah that stuck out is like great faith to me i have found it seems that faith in context of miracles almost is irrelevant. Let me put it this way. Your internal thought process is irrelevant. Your action is important. I've never seen anybody get healed who wasn't either commanded to get healed or prayed for to get healed. Um, it, it still happens. I just haven't seen it that I can recall. When I have seen people get healed, my thought process and my internal like faith meter, meter seem to have no effect. Um, there are certain situations where I felt like, like, I've seen healings in context where I felt like actually like a gift of faith come on me where I'm like, no, 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 this is going to happen 100%. And then there have been other situations where I'm like, this is not going to work. It's not going to, this thing's going to happen, but I'm going to do this because there's a lot of other Christians around. And if I don't lay hands and pray for them, they're going to judge me. Like it was just for all of the wrong reasons, for absolutely 100% wrong reasons, I've gone and prayed for people and then they got healed. Um, and so I'm like, I don't, you know, I can't explain that. I can't explain why my internal faith meter has no effect. Um, but I can say that the act of, of doing something in faith and putting yourself out there at a risk does seem to matter. There's this phrase that the centurion says uh, that always kind of has stuck with me. He said, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I will be healed. My mom was Catholic and we would go to Catholic church um, growing up. And when Catholics receive communion, um, or at least a, the uh, diocese that we were in, when Catholics would receive communion, they would say um, this phrase, they repeat it, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Um, you know, so I think it's kind of cool that the, the centurion's man's words were immortalized, not only in the Bible, but actually in the Catholic liturgy for receiving communion itself, recognizing, oh, we, we aren't worthy, um, but it is you uh, who are able to, to heal. And so I think one of the reasons why the centurion is so um, praised in this context is because of because he says that he doesn't need it to look a certain way. He's not like, oh, I need you to come to my house and like lay hands and do it exactly the same way. His faith is so great that he's just like, and his understanding of the kingdom principles is so um, is so is so great that he can just say like, hey, if you just say it, it's gonna happen. I know it. Yeah, I think it was the first time I actually prayed for somebody and saw them get healed, and I felt like I had no faith for it. I was 18 and in Mozambique, and we were on this outreach trip, and the point was you set up a medical tent, you invite people to come um, with their medical needs, and then you take advantage of the, the fact that there's a crowd there to preach the gospel. But I remember kind of being there and feeling very overwhelmed like here we are in this village where i'm pretty sure nobody knows jesus and nobody's ever heard of jesus and i desperately want them to know you god and i don't know what to do about it and i remember thinking i don't feel anointed i don't feel your presence lord i don't feel like there's anything in like like i have anything to give um I can't even speak the language. Like I can draw pictures in the sand with little kids and it was getting toward the end of the day and we were going to have to kind of pack up the truck and move on. 
and there was still a big line of people who hadn't made it into the medical tent yet. And so somebody on the leadership team came up to me and very casually said, hey, we're not gonna have time to get everybody through the tent, so for all those people in line, why don't you just start praying for them that God would heal them you know, before we leave? And I was very nervous. <laughs> about being asked to do that because I had no confidence that God would um, do anything if I prayed, but I obeyed. And so um walked up to this big line of people and found the, the first guy and asked him in my broken language skills, where's your pain? And put my hand on his head and said, okay, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Heal him. And took my hand off his head and said, how do you feel? And he answered me, but I didn't understand what he said. And he pointed to his head. So I, I just prayed for him again. And then took my hand off of his head and said, how do you feel? And he said something again and walked away. And immediately another lady like stepped in front of me and she pointed to her stomach. So I'm, I'm still feeling super awkward and super like, you know, like here I am pretending to do something useful. Um, and, and so I'm in, the, I'm like just starting to put my hand on this lady's stomach and pray again. And somebody who speaks both English and Makua comes running up to me and says, that man, that man you just prayed for, he's, he's been in pain for 10 years. His pain just went away and he wants to know the God who healed him. And I, I can't even say I like, believed him right away. I mean, it was just so like, nor there was nothing abnormally feeling about it. You know, um, it felt very much like me, you know, hot and sweaty standing there feeling awkward, but God did that, you know? And, um, and then for the next lady, he did it. And then for the next person and the next person and the next person and, um, all sorts of really, you know, amazing crazy you can't make this stuff up and all these people were saying the same thing um like I just got healed and I want to know the God who healed me and and then this open door for well let us let us introduce you to Jesus came um but it had you know it had nothing to do with my faith or my confidence honestly it did have something to do I think at least with my obedience <laughs> Um, you know, but even so God's going to do what God wants to do. And it's just really, really fun to be there. I think I had a really great group of friends who, especially at university where we all would just encourage one another to, to pray. And there was no like one person that was like, I'm the healer here. Everyone would just encourage everyone to pray and just kind of pass it on. And so if someone got healed, like, okay, now you should pray for someone else to get healed, not just bring them back to me. I loved that environment. There was no pressure on us to get the person healed. We would come with a 100% expectation that Jesus would heal, but we also knew that he was sovereign and in control, and we saw him work in uh, through lives that weren't immediately healed as well, uh, even unto saving people, uh, even though they weren't physically healed in that moment. And so we just trusted Jesus that he was good and he knew the, the best time, the best plan, best everything. And he had all the power. So we just, our job was just that, go to him and ask and just trust that he'll do exactly what he wants to do, knowing that he could do anything and that he had authority over the diseases. And so we, we, we just go to him in a, without any pressure and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And we teach other people to do that. And it was just really uh, encouraging because we didn't have to strive for, for healing or and also that didn't no one got glorified as the healer like I, i'm doing this so everyone come to me you know i've got the power it was just kind of like nope jesus has the power jesus loves to work through his people are you his people great i mean it does require faith in the sense that you have to come to jesus and believe that he's going to do something otherwise you wouldn't come to him but uh, we don't have to level up our faith to a certain level and then we get the healing breakthrough you know it's kind of like nope, he's got the healing already so we just go to him and ask when it comes to praying for people especially for healing blame 
really doesn't have any room in the equation. You know, blame happened in the garden <laughs> uh, and that resulted in a disaster. <laughs> we always have to go back to what's the point here? And the point has to be loving God and loving the person in front of us. So if, the, if, if we get off that point, that's when things start to go wonky and we can become motivated by the wrong thing. Um, so stick with commandment number one and then trust Jesus. People relying on experience rather than the word. So the word says God's good. But if someone doesn't get healed or someone does get healed, they're like, yeah, amen, this lines up. But then if they don't get healed, they may think, oh, does God, is God even good? Does he even care? And again, they're letting their experience dictate their, the reality or character and nature of God rather than the word. So regardless of what we experience, the word holds true. And so if we get our feet grounded on that, we'll be stable no matter what kind of experiences we have in healing. And so that also is give, gives us the confidence to uh, pray and let God be God and uh, let God be sovereign. All, there's no blame. There's no guilt. It's just, we let him do what he wants to do. Uh, and knowing that he is good and whatever he chooses to do is good. And whatever happens, he's working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In a sentence, <clears throat> what are your hopes in your own life and in your own world? Like, how do you hope healing ministry continues to bear fruit in your personal futures? Simply people, you know, I want my friend Ken to not have cancer. And I want um, the, our friend Dirk, who's a four-year-old little boy, to, um, to be healed of his cancer. And I can, you know, go through the list, but it's all about um, real people. And it's about real people getting to um, live the abundant life that Jesus has for them. And um, getting the joy of the knowledge of his love for them. And so that's what I want. I hope that I can stay hungry to like keep seeing healing and to keep praying for people. And um, yeah, just to not forget that that's part of the heart of God, that it's something that people really need and they should be able to go to God for it. Um, and we should be able to help them. My biggest thing with healing, I always want to be using it to be growing closer to the Lord. You know, I think that there's no other greater purpose of a gift of the Spirit than to use it to grow closer to Him and grow in intimacy with Him. I think that that's ultimately what all those do is they point us to Him on a practical level that looks like remind, reminding myself that when I'm at the grocery store and I have a long list of things to do, that I'm not too busy to stop and pray for the person who has a cast on their foot. Every person is really precious and a gift from the Lord. And so, you know, I, my prayers is always that God shows up and, and we both have an encounter with him. For a lot of people who are first stepping into healing, you know, there's, there's always the question of, well, is it real? And the first way that you're going to know if it's real or not is if you actually try, if you actually take risk. And so I would encourage you to really step past the chicken line, as you, some people call it, and uh, take risk, you know, and, and be talking to God in the process. Um, you know, ask him his thoughts, ask him, you know, what do you say about this person? Like, what, what are you saying right now in this moment? And use each other for strength too, if you an encouragement if you need, like you know, grab a friend and you know, go find some people to pray for. Have fun with it. Enjoy going after healing and trying something a little bit different. And I said before, like lowering mistakes and not putting all of your faith into a single action or into a single miracle is is healthy. But it's also great just to be like, I want to have faith for something. I want to get excited 
about the idea of seeing a miracle. Healing is an essential component that comes with, with knowing God. Like you can't not, you can't, you can't know God and walk with him and not see something supernatural happen. Even if it's not a healing, it could be something else. Um, but like healing is a, a big part of the ministry of Christ. And if we're emulating him, I think we should expect um, healing at least some level to be a part of our own lives. Jesus' heart is that we would hear and obey. Uh, but like Derek, Derek said, obeying is a lot harder on your own than in community and do it in a grace-filled community where there's no condemnation, but just encouragement to keep obeying, keep obeying, keep stepping out. And hey, if you're scared, that's okay. I'm scared too. Let's be scared together and step out together and uh, pray for one another and encourage one another and attempting to put into practice um, what Jesus is calling you to. And the success is obedience. It's not a certain measure of results or a certain measure of people being healed. It's just obedience. And so if you're stepping out and you're trying to obey, man, you're doing it. That's it. Healing is such a part of God's heart. Like it's in the word, you know, Old Testament, New Testament. If you turn to me, I'll hear your people. I'll hear your land. Jesus healed everybody that he went to. Go after God's heart. And like, don't make healing like a little benchmark, you know, of like, oh, I saw this person. But do, you know, like set some real goals and don't, don't give up you know, <laughs> don't give up because there's a lot of, um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of space between um, heaven and earth sometimes it feels like, and there's just a lot of people that don't get healed. But um, if you pray for, you know, a thousand people with cancer and just one of them gets healed and like gets to live, I mean, that would be worth it. Even if you had, you know, like never to heal, that in itself would be worth it. And people go, to medical school, you know, and spend 10 years, 12 years studying and looking so that they can help people and they can help them. And we, as the people of God, have access to the person who created us and everything and can actually heal perfectly. And we don't really spend 10 years going after it <laughs> in a focused way in, with the same kind of passion that they do. And, um, and we really should, like, we have the access to like God's heart because if you go after healing in a way that um, you're going after God and you're wanting to know why is this a part of him why is it happening why is it not happening you know like how do I release who he is on this earth then you're gonna find God in the process whether you see people healed or not and you're gonna have a good journey. I'm thinking of this thing that uh, Jackie Pollinger said at one at one point, and I'm going to butcher how she said it, but it was basically like, how come we don't just get zapped right up to heaven the moment we get saved? Well, maybe part of it is uh, because God wants to go on the journey with us of um, letting us partner with him and seeing his kingdom come and like seeing seeing the next person meet Jesus, you know? So my encouragement is is you know, don't forget your main mission. If you're with the Lord, you're with the Lord and you're, and, and the Lord is for somebody like he's for somebody else with you really quick. This is my end story, but my husband last week drove a couple hours away to go buy five pigs. My husband, Zach got the guy to go down, you know, $25 per pig to save us $150, just about writing the check. And he said, all of a sudden the Lord just clear as day, said, why are you here, Zach? <laughs> you're not here to buy pigs. You're here to bless this man. Like, you're here because I love this man who you're buying the pigs from. And so Zach stopped before he finished writing the check. And uh, he said, can I pay you $150 to let you tell me, let me tell you a story? <laughs> um, and he just decided I'd rather pay full price for the pigs, bless the man, and get the get the opportunity to share the gospel with him, you know. And the guy was kind of like, "What? <laughs> uh, what kind of story?" But he agreed to take full price for the pigs in exchange for getting to getting to hear the gospel. Like, what are we really here for? Is the question that I want to ask. And why are we still waddling around this earth rather than romping around in heaven? Like. We're here because God likes to be here with us and he likes to uh, go on the mission with us. 
everywhere you go and everything you do in obedience, whether it's praying for healing or, um, or whatever else he's asking you to do in obedience, like, you know, that's what we're here for. And it really is so worth it. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye Thanks for share. <laughs>